0: So today, we're going to look at Romans six, sixteen to 18, and I'm in a series right now with the acronym FAITH, F-A-I-T-H, so five sermons. This is sermon number two, F was fearless faith, that God goes with us, and we looked at that last Sunday, that God goes with us, and today we're going to look at, Romans, one of the greatest epistles in the New Testament. But first, I'm going to try something. It worked fine in practice. We'll see if it works here. All right, let's see. Got that down. I want y'all to hear something. Okay. Well, it worked in practice. It's taking a little time. Hey, I got it. It's kind of difficult because maybe it's the wiring or whatever, but I had to align to a station so that I could hear what was being said. And when we talk about faith, we are talking about an alignment. Much like you would get your car, your car is pulling to one side or the other, go in and you get an alignment. And what Paul addresses here today is actually a basic alignment, something that every believer must make a decision to do on his or her own. And so let's do a quick background check of Romans. Again, I think one of the greatest epistles written in the New Testament. It was written by the Apostle Paul. Paul wrote this around 57 AD. Uh, It was written in Corinth on Paul's third missionary journey. Remember, Paul had three missionary journeys. Uh, He would wind up finishing his third and then being executed, as he told Timothy, where I have been poured out like a drink offering my time is at hand i have fought the good fight i have finished the race so paul writes this on his third missionary journey the purpose was to unite jew and gentiles under the banner of christ and that's critical to understanding the new testament after post jesus everything is written to bring the jews and the gentiles under the umbrella of christ so that they can function as one body, and we've been looking at that, well, we did look at it on Wednesday night. and by the way, we do have uh, Wednesday services. You're welcome to join us. The big theme is justification by faith. Chapters one through three. In Romans, everybody's guilty. We've all sinned, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And if that's the case, how do we reconcile it? How do we get back the right standing with God? And the simple solution is, you have justification by faith. Paul writes, Abraham believed God and it was accredited to him as righteousness. So the issue, central issue to faith is some form of spiritual alignment with God. And that's what we see here in our verses here this morning. There's three verses. Let's look at the first. First of all, we choose our master. We choose our master. It is a deliberate choice. Paul states a very simple uh, general principle, if, if you will. Do you not know, this is verse 16, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as an obedient slave, you are slaves to the one whom you obey? That's a basic principle. So uh, Paul leaves no middle ground here. It, you're either here or you're here. You don't straddle the fence. Uh, You don't walk the center aisle. You're either on one side or the other. All are excluded. There is no middle ground. So do you not know? Paul assumes, at least in the Greek language, it refers to when Paul says, do you not know? They did know. There There was an assumption on Paul's part that they understood this principle that was being taught. A lot of times, we read the Bible, and we may, we may get into some passages that we don't understand, and then it would be good to go and study those passages, but this audience here knew exactly what Paul was asking, and he put it in the form of a question. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you who are slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? Now, let's look at this slavery for a minute. Uh, Slavery in Paul's day, particularly in Rome, over 25% were slaves. I think that number's really low. I would put it six and 10 were slaves in the Roman empire. A lot of scholars seem to to go between 40 and 60. Uh, I think it was much higher uh, than over 25%. There was a lot of slaves. in Paul's day particularly in Rome. Every Roman household had one or two slaves and if you were wealthy you had a lot of slaves and so this idea that somehow only 25 percent of the culture were slaves is uh, at best misguided, at worst misrepresented. There was tons of slaves and particularly when you go into Corinth and you talk about temple prostitution there were thousands of uh, temple prostitutes. So huge, huge slave population at the time, Paul wrote. People sold themselves into slavery. And the question is, why would people sell themselves into slavery? Well, the simple answer is to avoid financial disaster. So if they were hurting financially, they would sell themselves into slaves it wasn't uncommon to do that, and so some, in some sense it was voluntary. So, and this is the last point under here, slavery was either voluntary or mandatory. So the idea of slavery would have been known to these readers. As soon as Paul writes, do you not know that you are slaves of the one whom you obey, they would have instinctively known, yes, yes. That means you are under the yoke of the person which you obey. So they would have understood that. The imagery of slavery is also a good image for us. We are not our own. Please know that. The life that you live and the life that I live today, it is not our life, it is Christ living his life through us. Therefore, we have come under as believers. We come under the lordship of Jesus Christ, and we obey him rather than obeying the world. Again, Paul excludes the middle road here and comes down to a choice. You are either on one side of the fence or you are on the other. So as the believer, then you have to come from a life of sin and death, and you have to align with God. You have to come in under the lordship, of Jesus Christ. The first choice is given to us is either sin and death. He writes, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? First option, either of sin which leads to death. That's the first option. harmatia, And that word sin, harmatia means to do what is contrary to the will of God. And it also means wrongdoing. So when you talk about sin, sin is anything that is against the will of God, and it is a lifestyle that is lived by wrongdoing. That is, cheat, lie, steal, all those issues come up. And it really shouldn't be named in the kingdom of God. Sometimes it is, unfortunately. But harmatia means that there is a defiant moment in a life when the person decides, I'm going to reject the gospel, and I am going to live a life of wrongdoing. That's problematic because of the word death, thanatos. That word means the process, this is interesting, the process of dying. Now, we do know this for sure. We are all sitting here today as a result of the fall in Genesis chapter 3. You all are all wearing clothes today. That's a result of the fall. Adam and Eve knew they were naked, so they clothed themselves. But there's also another issue that comes into play going all the way back to Genesis, and that is death. Death is a result of the fall. So, everybody, death has a 100% batting average. If, if you are born, you're going to die someday. And so, therefore, as you live your lives, you have to realize that there is a game, there is an end game coming in which you will leave this life. And not only that, but this word also refers to a spiritual Not only a physical death, but a spiritual death. And now what happens here, if you look down in verse 22, Paul will clarify what he means about this. But now that you have been set free from sin, praise be to God, and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. So on on one end, you have sin and death eternal separation from God. You don't hear this often from pulpits, and I'm going to say this unapologetically. There is a hell. There is a real hell for people who reject Jesus Christ. Who He gives many opportunities, and I'm so thankful for all the testimonies yesterday in our hour and 20-minute time together yesterday, talking about evangelism and uh, many poured out their hearts, and I, I, I really did appreciate that. The fact is that you will die someday. Now go out and... No, it's, a, it's, a, it's a reality. It is a reality. I, this week, I... Uh, when you think about slaves, uh, in one sense what we're dealing with here, sin and death, slavery has a negative connotation because you're shackled to something that is not good. You are shackled to something that is going to ultimately lead not only to physical death, but to spiritual death. This, this week, I, uh, there's a fascinating history, and I, and I love history. I, I study history. Love it. Uh, of course, my daughter. She knows a lot more about history than I do. But uh, Tutankhamun. he was. Uh, I know Steve Martin came out King Tut. Everybody remembers that. That uh, now I'm not, Audrey said, "Don't don't do it," because <laughs> um, oftentimes I like to sing and make make myself look bad. But um, he came to the throne when he was nine, and in this. 10 by 14 room the archaeologists that were doing this study said that it caught them by surprise when he died when he was 18. In fact I know you can't see it in the picture but they had to hastily put together his burial and his burial plot and by the way King Tut the only reason he wasn't really much of a king there was not he's was small insignificant But because he died so early in life, it caught them by surprise. If you go into other Egyptian kings, I mean, it's loaded. It is massive. And the archaeologists were talking about some of the paint runs on all of these. And there's baboons and uh, all that mean stuff. It's for the Egyptian king who has to go to the other side for eternal life. What was interesting, what I found fascinating about this hour and 15 minute documentary was that the Egyptian kings had to pass through flames. That's interesting. Obviously, King Tut did not know Jesus Christ. People tried to deal with death, and particularly kings, Egyptian kings, pharaohs, they had to get to the afterlife so that they could reign with the gods. And uh, you could tell, I mean, very clearly, they did a, how long it would take. They had stone cutters working and it it would have taken much longer. He would have already missed the moment of the afterlife. Let me me simplify this. You miss living with Jesus Christ because you choose the wrong master. If you choose to reject Jesus Christ, you are aligned with the world. And the consequences of that are eternal separation from God. So you choose your master. Now on the other end of the spectrum, having looked at sin and death, you can choose obedience and righteousness. It is a, it is a choice. It is a choice. Or, Paul writes in verse 16b, or of obedience which leads to righteousness. Again, notice there is no middle ground. You're either on one end of the fence or the other. And I know you meet people that say, well, I'm neither here nor there. Well, they, they might believe that, but a no decision or a maybe decision is really a decision to follow Sin and death. And that's our job as believers. When you're out there on highways and byways of life, to share the gospel, to love people. I think that's the most important thing is to love them. So there is no middle position. Now, hear the word obedience. Hupakoe. Hupakoe means to obey. Listen to this definition very carefully. To obey on the basis of having paid attention. So when you read the gospel and it says, uh, that you're a sinner and that you need to trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. By obedience, you trust in that and then are made right with him and put, brought back into a right relationship with him based on obedience. This is a positive obedience. This is an obedience that it radically changes everything in your life. And what they're obedient to is in verse 17 to the standards of teaching. Now this word righteousness, and it means the act of doing what God requires. So on one end of the spectrum, you have wrongdoing, which is against the will of God. And on the other end, you have obedience, that is trusting in Christ. And that leads to doing what God requires. Listen. When you trust in Christ, you have fulfilled every law that God ever wrote because of Christ. He is the one who did it all for us. And by trusting in him, we align ourselves with God. We align ourselves with Christ. And the Holy Spirit comes and lives in us and aligns us, keeps us aligned with God. So you have, again, wrongdoing right doing, doing what God requires. And you say, well, Pastor, it's it can't be that simple. Yes, it can. You have to make a choice. Here's the here's the good news that when Jesus Christ on the cross, and we celebrated just a couple of weeks ago, good Good Friday, he said it is finished. What did he mean it is finished? It means that your sin and my sin was paid for By the blood of Christ. And therefore, based on that and that alone, understand, I have nothing to bring to God. I have nothing of my own to bring to him, to make me somehow acceptable. I am a sinner saved by the grace of God, and that's what you are, sinners saved by the grace of God. So we have nothing to bring. Christ did it all on the cross. And that's why we can praise him and sing of him and glorify his name in our lives. Because we have nothing to bring. Nobody in here is good enough to get into the kingdom of heaven by themselves. It was done by Jesus. And that is a fact. This righteousness, the act of doing what God requires, also, just like the word death, also looks forward eschatologically to the day that we see our, our Savior face to face. So it's a righteousness in a right standing with God that was done by Jesus Christ. Amazing. Some people miss the kingdom of God by this far. They know it here, but they've never taken it here. And so that's what a foot in my case, and how sad it is. Douglas Moo, one of my favorite theologians, writes this, Paul is out to emphasize the significance of obedience in the Christian life in contexts where such an emphasis is necessary to counter false antinomianism. Uh, So there's some that believe that since we're under Christ, we don't really need law. There is a law of Christ, bear one another's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. But then there's also this, Paul addresses that right here. What then? This is verse 15. Are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? Paul says, by no means. So there's some in the Christian community that say, well, we just get rid of any boundaries. We can live our lives the way that we want. That's not coming under and aligning with God's principles, which is crucial. When you're saved, you're saved. You are no longer slaves of sin and death. You become slaves of righteousness. You obey God and his principles. And then Douglas Moo goes on to say, The freedom of the Christian life is not freedom to do what one wants, but freedom to obey God willingly, joyfully, and naturally. It is a joy to serve our Redeemer. That puts a positive spin. I think Douglas Moo is one of the deepest theological thinkers of our day. But he's absolutely right. When we get to a place in our lives, when we go, I have to do this because this is what God wants me to do. Or, doing this because I love Christ. Big difference. Big difference. So here we choose which way we are going to go in our lives. It's so sad. It really is. It's so sad. When you share the gospel with somebody, And I know many of you have shared the gospel with one particular person many, 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 many many times. And they've rejected it. I want to tell you as your pastor this morning, do not quit. God's arm is not too short that he can't reach down and save even the most vile offender. Mr. Collins in Bible College. I remember this, and if I've said it bef- said it before, just excuse it as age. <laughs> he went into a home. And he said the home was filthy. There were just a mess. He was actually afraid to sit down. He told us this in Bible College Pastoral Ministry 101. He said there were cockroaches crawling on him. And he said what he really wanted to do was get out of the room, and he did. He got in his car. He said, I hurriedly got out of there because it it was filthy. And Mr. Collins got in his car and he was getting ready to put the key in and he heard this voice such were you before I saved you. Brothers and sisters, we need to look at people differently. We need to see and understand. I'm with you, I get angry and irritated at times when I see how messed up the world is. But we need to change our perspective The lost world acts the way they do because they are lost. They have no other way to act. So they are trapped. They are trapped in sin and death. And we're over here basking in the light of his glory and we go please come over don't quit if you've got somebody in your life that you've shared the gospel with keep at it lovingly be there for them so that they can be freed from that position and that they can come over and bask in the glory and the righteousness of Christ so those are the two choices death and sin or obedience and righteousness. This is what I encourage you and those that are watching uh, by stream this morning, if you don't know Jesus Christ, this is what I want you to do this morning. I want you to choose the Christian life. Notice how Paul, he wants us to align. He wants us to go from here to here. He wants us to bridge that gap and align with the Christian life. I could have said the Christian way. Christian way is a little broad. Christian life means there's a, con- there's a connection. But he says here in verse 17a, but thanks be to God that you were once slaves of sin. Ami, which means you once possessed characteristics of the lost. One thing that I told our group yesterday, and actually they knew the answer. I didn't have to explain on it. I said, how do you share your personal testimony? What three things are important in a personal testimony? They all said it. And I was taken back and it saved us 10 minutes. They said, how your life was before Christ. How your life was the day you trusted in Christ. And how your life is now. All of us had a past. None of us came out of the womb a Christian, right? I think back to my life, and I, you know, I was, I was pretty good, but the bottom line is, I was bad. I, had, I was separated from Christ until I trusted in him, and then God delivered that. Haris, an expression of gratitude. Slave dulos, which is controlled. Sin harmatia, which means wrongdoing. So if I could rephrase this and say it this way, it might help us. But grace be to God that though you possessed characteristics of people controlled by wrongdoing, that's how your life was. And listen, please listen. The day that you trusted in Jesus Christ, everything from the past was done. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old is gone, the new has come. Don't let the old life dictate who you are in Christ. And I've seen it. Over now 33 years of pastoral ministry, I have seen people beat themselves up over what happened to them 20 years ago and they carry this burden and i say, christ has already crucified that it's done let it go satan wants to hold you back so that you can't live your best for him that's what he wants he wants to keep you at the foot of the cross so you never advance i'm telling you as your pastor let it go If it was crucified by Jesus Christ, it is done, it is forgiven. You carry that sin no more. Be free. Not free in the sense of doing whatever you want, but be free from what once held you and binded you to sin and death. Satan does not have any power over you any longer. You have been set free. And Paul says, thanks be to God. Thanks be to God, that though you were once sinners, you are now set free. Paul writes it, or in Ephesians, writes it this way. As you were dead in your trespasses and sin, which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the air, that's Satan, the spirit that is now at work at sons of disobedience, Those who are over here who have chosen not to follow Christ, they're on this end. And who does that? Who does that? Well, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is in the image of God. When you share the gospel, know this, there is a spiritual dimension to sharing the gospel. You have to know that Satan is at work. So what you do is you pray for the removal of Satan so that they can be open to the gospel. My experience, my experience alone, when somebody fights so hard against the gospel, something's happening inwardly. Something's happening inwardly. Paul says, You used to be slaves, but now look at verse 17. You have become obedient from the heart. The heart's mentioned, cardia. We'll get to that in a minute. Hupakuo. I like that. Hupakuo. It sounds like a bird, right? Hupakuo. Hupakuo. Obedient. To obey on the basis of paying attention. God, you said it. I'm going to do it. I love to do it. Thank you for letting me do it. Rather than, okay, God, I got to do it. No, it's joyful. This is a joyful obedience. Not like that obedience, which keeps you in the dungeon. This obedience is free. Heart is the word cardia. I'm just going to throw it up here for you. Um, Cardia is the causative source of a person's psychological life and its various aspects. This is cardia but with a special emphasis on, upon thoughts, heart, inner self, and mind. So this obedience really involves, listen to this because it's key, it really involves the entire person. Right? You don't just give your mind to Christ. You don't just give your thoughts to Christ. You give not only those, but you give your heart to Christ. You give who you are as an individual, as a person. And that can be settled just by going, God, this is where my life is now. I've trusted in Christ. I've made some mistakes. And, but God, I want to give everything I have to you right now. That's the obedience that, Christ is, that Paul is talking about here. To give everything that you have, your thoughts, your emotions, your feelings, everything. Everything should be focused on Christ and the Christian life. What's the object? Obviously one object, the big object, is Jesus Christ. But notice what Paul writes in 17b when we're talking about the heart. To the standard of teaching. To the standard of teaching which you were committed. That's the objective. Bowen, Cruden, and I in their commentary write this. It is easy to forget the first century believers did not have Bibles. Boy, we've got Bibles everywhere. Matter of fact, I, I got Bible on my phone. Uh, they did not have Bibles as we refer to them today, convenient codified collections of the canon of Scripture. The Old Testament existed on scrolls in a synagogue, so it wasn't available. And the New Testament was being written instead of, write, uh, of the written copies of Scripture, oral tradition was the means by transferring history and teaching from one place or one generation to another. So Paul, although this letter did make it, as he wrote it from Corinth, did make it to the Roman people, it would have been read. And Paul says, wait a minute. I've already written it for you, so now you need to commit yourself to it. And I'll I'll be honest with you. It's very difficult at times. It's, It's very difficult at times. Because there's some hard sayings of Jesus. Unless you deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Those are tough things to do. But again, the attitude should be, but thanks be to God, I'm not here anymore. And because I'm not here anymore, and I know my future, Lord, I'm going to do this because I love you. That's a big difference. Big difference in tweaking things. For us, for us, we just simply, you you do realize that we live in a day when we're so blessed. We're really blessed. We've got the Bible. It's like in a lot of different translations. One of my favorite versions, it's the Holy Bible written for kids. And sometimes when I'm doing my study for a sermon, I read that little Bible. It's pretty awesome. But we have it in so many different languages. And we're so blessed. They had to go to the synagogues and it was only read by a few people. So we're so blessed and... There, there was a picture this week. It showed a Bible and had dust on it and it said, read me. Go out this week. Read, read the Bible. Commit to the teachings of the Bible. Not because you have to, but because you want to. And because you love Christ. That's pretty big. Paradido me. This word committed. Paul writes this to the standard of teaching. That is biblical teaching. That you were committed. Uh, uh, me means to be handed over to something. But it also carries the idea of responsibility. So I hand this over to you. You take it. You read it and you have the responsibility to live it. Lastly, our desire. Look at verse 18. And having been set free from sin. Eleuthero. Eleuthero means released from sin. You have become slaves of Righteousness. We've seen the alignment here in this text from death and sin to righteousness and obedience. Your chains are gone. You all realize that, right? When you trust in Jesus Christ, the shackles are